Welcome to Peer Into Recovery, a podcast with a focus on the profession of peer support. For more information about how to subscribe, please visit our website at www.vprsn.org. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I am your host, Danielle Donaldson. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with David Rockwell about providing crisis peer support. David Rockwell is a certified peer recovery specialist and trainer based in Richmond, Virginia, and identifies as someone with a lived mental health experience. He spent 12 years working with Henrico Area Mental Health and Developmental Services in Glen Allen, Virginia, and worked with the emergency service team and the and at the Henrico County Crisis Receiving Center for eight of those years. Hey, David, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Danielle. It's good to be with you. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Are you Are you faring pretty? Um, are you yeah. faring well with this with the stay at home orders and the COVID nineteen yes. crisis? I'm not going out hardly at all. Just to pick up groceries first time. That's about it. Yeah, us here as well. So, I know, um, and other people who know you know that you've been doing um, professional peer support for quite some time, but um, I imagine some of those people probably don't know your story and maybe would like to hear a little bit about how you got started as a peer recovery specialist. Sure. Happy to do that. Um, I started having mental health lived experiences when I was in my early 20s. Uh, so it's really been with me my whole life. And um, I managed it with medication and with um, uh, counseling for years. Uh, I managed to just stay on an even keel and, and help all I needed. Um, about 17 years ago, um, I reached a pretty bad place in my life and um, was um, I actually attempted suicide, which um, was not successful, obviously, but uh, I almost I almost didn't make it. So every day goes by and I thank God for a second chance because I've enjoyed the life I've had on the other side of that. Yeah. Um, so I was stuck in grief for a long time because I lost jobs and friends and a whole bunch of things and I was, um, was, I had to go on disability. Um, and I thought I would never get to work with people again because I, I have over 35 years experience in human services. So I was like, I'm, I'm never going to be able to work again like that. And so, um, about the time I switched over to being on disability, I moved from private psychiatric care to um, community health um, psychiatric care. And I became a client at the Enrico Mental Health Community Services Board. Um, and that was the first time I ever heard about recovery. I had never heard that in all the decades before. And no one had ever sat down and said, you know, you can recover from this and it's an ongoing process. Um, and you're not alone. So when that happened, uh, I, it's like a light bulb went off in my head and I started, you know, really embracing that whole concept because I had tried all the meds and tried all kinds of other treatments. Um, and I learned from my case manager about a training program that was being held in Charlottesville, Virginia, training people to be peer specialists. 
and that just seemed like a good fit for me since I, I like working with people and because this was personal to me. Right. So I went up to Charlottesville for a semester, went through college level classes, um, and came back for a summer internship with Enrico, um, and took to, took to it like a fish in water. I mean, it, it just felt right to me. Um, so I started, and then they offered me a job after my internship was over, they offered me a job. So I started out as a, um, right, uh, as a, um, case management peer specialist, um, becoming the first case management peer specialist for Enrico. And I did that for about four years. Um, and then I started, um, wondering out loud with certain people that worked for Henrico, why don't we have peer specialists with the crisis team? At that time, there were no peer specialists working with CSB crisis teams across the state. So I began a conversation with Richard Edelman, who was the crisis manager, a crisis program manager. And we started talking and talked for months and months, basically. Um, and together we crafted a position uh, it was part-time at first, and I had to go through the usual application process and everything. Other people applied for it as well. Mm -hmm. But I was hired as a part-time crisis peer specialist. Um, and I did that for about uh, two additional years. And then I was, I was offered a full-time job, which I uh, became full-time crisis peer specialist. And this coincided with the opening of Henrico's Crisis Receiving Center. Uh, a bunch of funding had come down the pike um, to open these assessment sites. Uh, and there were three original ones that were opened across the state, ours being one of them. And ours was the only one that had a peer specialist. So I became the first full-time peer specialist working with a crisis team and the first full-time peer specialist working with uh, a crisis assessment site. That's amazing. Um, yeah. so. Um, so that's, 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 a sh that's how I got into doing the work that I do. Um, did, uh, what is, what did a typical work day look like for you, um, when you were doing this type of work? Never a dull moment. <laughs> um, there are basically three speeds with crisis work. It's slow, steady, and then really, really fast. Um, so it definitely is a job that uh, raises your adrenaline um, because they were, we were the we were and I'm assuming they still are the busiest assessment site in the state of Virginia, uh, and at times we would have maybe one or two peers there that were under police custody under an ECO. Other times we'd have as many as nine all at the same time there, and this was hospital based. It was a partnership between. Uh, Harem Doctors Hospital and the CSB create this assessment site. So a typical day for me would start when I got to work and I would check in with my coworkers um, and check in with the off-duty uh, CIT police officer uh, and uh, with the nurses as well to see what was going on because sometimes it'd be already peers there. Uh, and then I would spend my day um, meeting with peers in their hospital rooms, uh, listening, doing a lot of listening. It was really a very um, humbling experience because here were people that were having one of the worst days of their lives and they were 
once they once I earned some of their trust, they started to pour out their trauma uh, to me, and so I I listened and I helped to link them to resources in the community uh, that weren't necessarily necessarily CSB resources, um, and just kept them company. Um, and there were times when um, all I did was sit in silence with with a person. Um, they brought one person in one time. Obviously, I'm not going to give the name or anything or any identifying information. Right, right. This, this was a young man who came in and who was um, not interacting with anyone. The paramedics tried to get his help uh, moving him from the uh, ambulance gurney to the bed, and he wouldn't respond. Nurses came in and took blood and did things, and he just had no interaction. So the clinician went in. The uh, CSB employee went in to evaluate him and didn't get very far, and she concluded that he was catatonic. So um, she she came back to the office, and then I decided I would go in the room. I always introduce myself and ask permission to come in. I don't ever just force this on anybody because peer support is voluntary. Right. I went into the room, and I introduced myself. And he wouldn't meet my eye. which was just staring at the ceiling. I said, I'm just going to sit here in silence with you for a little while. And so I sat down uh, for about 20 minutes and didn't stare at him or anything, put any pressure on him. And at the end of 20 minutes, I stood up and said to him, I'm going to go back to my office now, but I'll come back and check on you in a little bit. And immediately he spoke up. He said, could I have a cup of water, please? And I said, sure. So I went and got him a cup of water. When I came back, he said, you know what? I don't think I've eaten for the last couple of days. Uh, is there any food available? And I arranged for that. Uh, and little by little, he started talking uh, and interacting. And he was really, he wasn't catatonic. He was terrified. He was right. just totally, um, he was aware of his surroundings. Um, so I, I proceeded to talk to him about recovery and, and talk to him about we actually talked about rap that day because um, he was looking for concrete tools to manage and help him with his um, mental health challenges. So uh, we talked about the key principles of rap. And, um, so there were days like that that uh, were very powerful. Uh, there were days when I would just simply go into a room and somebody would say, get the, you know what, out of here. And, uh, and I would do it because they had lost all control. Basically, they felt out of control. Um, because they were in custody and they were having such a bad day. And not only is peer specialist uh, services, not only are they voluntary, but they're also, um, and this was also a case where I wanted to give the person a little bit of their power back. So if they didn't want to talk to me, that was okay. They didn't have to. And I made sure they knew that. Um, and, um, other times, you know, we would have so many peers in there that I would go from room to room, basically, and spend 10 or 15 minutes with each person uh, to kind of build some rapport. And then I'd go back and check on them all. Uh, there were peers that were there that I spent a long time with. Um, I spent, my, my record was eight hours. Eight hours I spent with one peer was the only peer that was there. He was a juvenile, a teenager. Wow. And he was, it was hard. He was having a hard time holding it together. And uh, every time I would, if I left the room to go use the bathroom, he would start getting agitated and everything. So I would just stay in there with him and actually hold his, his hand. Um, 
and keep them company and keep them focused on other things. And we talked about things other than mental health too, just to keep his mind centered. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there were other peers that I spent a couple hours with here and there. And so a typical day would last me. I would work eight-hour days. Sometimes they'd turn into 11- or 12-hour days if we got really, really busy and it was late at night. Uh, I would stay some extra hours and then just shave some hours off the end of my week. Mm-hmm. But typically, I worked an eight-hour day. Uh, so that's a little bit about what a typical day looks like. If, um, if there was a peer specialist out there that, you know, this type of work um, is calling to them, uh, are there any particular challenges they need to be aware of or prepared for? Is um, What kind of experiences um, could you share that maybe would help them uh, start off on the right foot? Do, do you, okay. Does that make sense? It does, yes. Um, so being a crisis peer specialist is different than being like a case management peer specialist or a peer specialist working in a um, drop-in center or something like that. It's not harder necessarily or better, it's just different. Um, the first thing that you become aware of is that there's a lot of trauma that's being you know, unloaded. Um, I would spend all day long listening to people's trauma and basically have to guard myself against secondary trauma. But the first thing I would tell somebody who is interested in this kind of work is that have good self-care skills, mm-hmm. be able to manage all of the um, things you'll be hearing. And that includes triggers because um, as peers, we all have experiences we've, we've had that um, if someone else has the same experience or shares it with us, it might trigger us a little bit. So uh, just be aware of that. Be, be aware of your body and aware of your spirit and your mind and, um, and your emotions. Um, so also, um, I would say to anyone who is interested in doing this, that uh, it's very rewarding. I mean, it, 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 like that story I just told you, there are days that you work with somebody and it's such a powerful connection and you really feel like you've made a difference in somebody's life. And I had a lot of those experiences. But you also had people, as I said, who would not want to let you in the room. And you had to learn how to brush that off and not um, take it personally because, again, these are peers who are having a really rough day and perhaps they weren't ready to talk. There were peers sometimes that would tell me to get out and then I'd go check on them later and they were open to that point to talk. So, um, And like I said, I also sat in silence with people. There were times I would just sit in the room and keep them company. I actually had some peers ask me, can you just stay with me? Because they didn't want to be alone um, in the surroundings they were in, a very sterile hospital surrounding with police officer outside the door. So, right, um, right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so do you have um, any particular recommendations, like for trainings or skills that people could develop in order to um, do this particular kind of work well? Well, you definitely need to go through the core peer specialist, peer recovery specialist training that's offered uh, in, in Virginia, offered by the, the certified trainers through DBHDS. Uh, you need to start with that. It's just, it's just not, um, this kind of work working with crisis is not something that you start out with for the most part. Uh, it's something that's a little more advanced. Um, right. right. So 
Uh, it's good to have good listening skills. It's always good to have that as a peer specialist, but especially with people in crisis, because uh, I always remembered from my peer specialist training, it's always about their story, not mine. I would share pieces of my story as appropriate uh, to make that connection and to let them know they're not alone. But I would let them do most of the talking. And you have to be willing to do that. Uh, I'm actually working on some training right now because as far as I know, there's no crisis here, specialist specific training in the state of Virginia. Uh, so I'm working on a training while I'm in under house <laughs> arrest or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trying to develop a way to, um, and, and just going over my own experiences and things I've been through and then, you know, good, good information about how to go about doing this work and, you know, taking from other resources like SAMHSA and uh, other states have crisis peer specialists as well. And um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's like I said, it's, it's, it's really advanced peer support in a lot of ways. Uh, so I wouldn't recommend somebody starting out as a crisis peer specialist. I would say work a little bit in another role for a little while and get some, um, traction under your under your feet um get some experience before you start having to deal with the high adrenaline high stress trauma informed kind of care that goes on at uh, an assessment site yeah i agree that i mean first of all it seems to me that that crisis peer support yeah is a calling for some very special individuals um I mean, I, I totally admire everything you've done, but I, I know personally it's not a job that I don't think, I don't think I could do it. Um, but uh, it is so very valuable. And I think it's really exciting news that you're developing um, a training. So I, I think there'll probably be a lot of interest in that once you've got that ready for people. Um, so uh, you, you did briefly mention um, being trauma-informed, and I imagine that in this particular work, um, having, having appropriate boundaries is probably really important. Uh, yes. Was there any particular trauma training that you thought was particularly helpful? I've had so many trauma-informed trainings, um, both via webinars and in person. Um, I also have a background in counseling, so I have master's work in counseling. Uh, so that has informed me. Uh, I'm not a counselor anymore, so I don't try to be a counselor. I'm a peer specialist. But um, all of my training that I went through to become a counselor uh, was definitely has played into uh, how I approach people and how I listen to them and how I support them. Um, I can't think of a specific trauma-informed training, um, but... It's definitely a key factor in doing crisis peer work um, because you're, you're dealing with trauma every day. I mean, these are people that not only are they having a really bad day and are in trauma at the moment, um, they most of them, as we know, peers have, most peers have some trauma in their background. Mm -hmm. And that tends to bubble up uh, when you're having a bad day. So, um, so it's very important to be trauma-informed and aware and to keep yourself current on that. So obviously, as a certified and registered peer specialist, I have to keep up with my CEUs each year and try to um, get the, the training I need, the ethics training, and then other kinds of trainings. And I try to look for trainings that are going to be 
that are going to inform me when it comes to doing the kind of work that I do. So. Um, you're you're involved with CIT as well. Am I right with? Yes. Um, crisis intervention teams. Yes. Um, do is there any type of overlap or um, connection yes, the, between them? Yes. The uh, the crisis assessment site is under the umbrella of the CIT program. So all of the assessment sites across the state are under the umbrella of CIT. So it's a um, and CIT, as you know, is a law enforcement driven um, kind of program. It's a they provide the forty hours core training for uh, used to be just law enforcement, and now it's first responders. Henrico was the first organization in the country and perhaps the world to include firefighters and um, paramedics and judges and nurses and doctors and all kinds of other people. Everybody would be on the same page. I'm also a CIT instructor, um, certified in that. So I participated regularly with Henrico's peer specialist trainings. Uh, I mean, uh, sorry, CIT trainings. Uh, so I have I, you work very closely with law enforcement and with other first responders in this job, um, and you have to learn to to balance that out and have a good relationship with them. Uh, that's another key thing is balance. You have to find the balance because sometimes um, I, I found myself needing to be neutral. You know, I, I didn't want to be associated with the police. That was a negative connotation for the people that were in custody. Right. Nor did I want to be associated necessarily with the clinician. Or the medical staff. So I was kind of, I was kind of a neutral person that the people, the peers, felt like they could talk to. Talk with. Um, so, so yeah, it is. It's definitely interwoven with CIT. Um, do you have any final um, thoughts or suggestions or recommendations for anyone who's listening? I would say that if you have a, if you feel a calling to go into this world. As I said before, try something, try a different peer position for a while. Go ahead through the training, get your 500 hours, all those kinds of things, and then try to work as a peer specialist for CSB um, or a drop-in center or something like that. Give yourself a couple of years to do that. And then if you still feel that calling, definitely go for it. I mean, it's, as I said, it's very rewarding work. It's very uh, it, it, it really wears you out, however, and it, it's worn me out on more than one occasion. Um, because in the, in the assessment site, the clinicians go in and do the report or do their assessment and they come out and write the report for seven hours or whatever it takes. The officers outside, the nurses are, um, the nurses are, the nurses are coming and going, but oftentimes I was the only person that had time to stay with them. So I was listening constantly and listening mm -hmm. constantly to their um, the trauma that they had experienced. So, yeah, I would say it's 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 a worthwhile it's an it's it's a worthwhile position within the peer specialist world. Something definitely um, to pursue if you're interested in that kind of work. I'd be willing if anyone wanted to email me and ask me any specific questions. I'd be willing to respond. Great. Uh, why, why don't you share that email uh, with everyone? And I'll also include it in the show notes on the webpage. Okay. So it's pretty simple. It's all lowercase and it's Virginia spelled out for F-O-R and then recovery. So Virginia for recovery, all one word at 
gmail.com. Great. Thank you. And thank you, David, for, for joining me today. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise in this particular line of work. Um, like I said, I know it's, it's such a valuable um, service uh, for people who are, you know, when, when people are at their lowest and they need peer support more than um, they probably even know. Yes. Well, thank you for inviting me to do this. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Well, I appreciate it because I, I know you've got lots of expertise to share with, with others. And um, I hope people will, will reach out to David and, and ask him questions about this particular line of work if, if it's something that uh, you're passionate about. And uh, with that, I just wanted to thank everyone for listening to the Peer Into Recovery podcast. It was brought to you by the Virginia Peer Recovery Specialist Network and Mental Health America Virginia. And if you like our show and would like to subscribe, please visit our website at www.vprsn.org and please leave us a review on iTunes. Take good care of yourselves and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.